without further ado, let's begin lecture one, introduction to Homer's Odyssey, the time between Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. I told you I had some good stuff for you. Let's take a look at what it is. So, some brief preview of what the Odyssey is. The Odyssey is the epic poem that comes after the Iliad. A couple interesting facts that I will share immediately that will be on the audio, not on the slide, that if you come back to the audio, you will be able to note. One thing is this. The Iliad is much longer than the Odyssey. It's about 15,000 something lines, whereas the Odyssey is only 12,000. So we like the fact that the Odyssey is a bit shorter. And in fact, the first few books of the Odyssey, also called books, just like in the Iliad, are also pretty short. They're about 300, 400 lines. So we get through the first four books, sometimes called the Telemachy or the Telemachiad because they focus on Telemachus, the son of Odysseus. Uh, they're, they're fairly short and we go through them very quickly. And in some ways you might say that that's like a parallel with you. It doesn't last very long. Seems like it takes a long time, but in reality it really doesn't. And so part of what this story is going to be about is how a youth becomes an adult. How a boy becomes a man. Apparently with humans, oddly enough, it's not exactly a natural process. Some key events have to occur. Some key choices need to be made. Uh, apparently taking responsibility for what is one's own is a major difference between what makes an Achaean boy a boy and what makes an Achaean man a man. But a couple other things. Now, I told you that the Iliad and the Odyssey are the only extant epics from what was once called the Epic Cycle. There used to be eight of these epics, but the crown jewels were the Iliad and the Odyssey. The other six have passed away with time. So that causes a couple contradictory feelings in us. On the one hand, we feel overwhelming sadness at the fact that we have lost six epics that contain within them characters that we've come to know and love. On the other hand, we're told by Aristotle, a fourth century philosopher, might, uh, yeah, who came after Plato, who was the uh, teacher of Alexander the Great, and who we'll talk about quite a bit next year uh, in the context of Dante's Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. Well, he said that actually the Iliad and the Odyssey were the best of the epics, and the other six were minor. They're shorter, not as good. And so even though it is tragic that we lost them, it's not as big a tragedy as if we were to have lost the Iliad and the Odyssey. And one of the reasons you can probably tell that he's correct is, why do you think the Iliad and the Odyssey survived, and these other epics didn't? Well, they didn't have a printing press back then, so you had to copy by hand on very expensive, uh, essentially sheepskin called papyrus, um, and uh, you had to copy by hand over and over again these words down in order to transmit these stories to the next generation. And this uh, was expensive, time-consuming, and if you've ever copied anything down, sort of like what you're doing now, it's not the most interesting thing in the world to do. So obviously there must have been far more copies of the Iliad and the Odyssey than there were of these other epics. What does that tell us? Well, that tell, tells us they were far more popular, that people were more interested in them. So even though we have lost the, these epics, and that is sad, it is not as sad as if we had lost the two crown jewels, which, which we still have. You've had the golden one, the Iliad. Now it's time to have the silver one, the Odyssey. You've had the epic of the day, the Iliad. Now we will have the epic of the night, the Odyssey. And even if you look on your translation's uh, cover, you will notice that there is a major contrast in theme, even in terms of elements on the cover. In the Iliad, you remember those triangles. I'll show them in front of you. The theme is red and orange. The image is an image of what? Fire, Fire something burning. The idea being... Uh, burning Rage, or even uh, Ilion itself, Troy. Well, when you look at the Odyssey on the cover, you notice light blue, blue, the images of what? Water. 
water. And so, whereas we left home to go make our names in the Iliad, the Odyssey is a story of coming home. And, well, let's talk about, before we get to the Odyssey, the four epics that came between and the summaries that we still have of them. We do still know some of the information that was in them, though we do not have the epics themselves. All right, the Ethiopis, the Ethiopis. And the Little Iliad were two epics which existed between Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, and we're going to talk about them now. We're going to start with the Aethiopis. So the Aethiopis, or the sequel to Homer's Iliad, is the Aethiopis of Arctinus of Miletus in five books. Here's how it goes. There was an Amazon. Yes, the same sort of Amazon that Diana Wonder Woman comes from. These Amazons in contemporary Marvel comics, or excuse me, DC comics, are based on the Amazonians from the stories around the Iliad. Well, there was an Amazon named Pintha Silea. She was a daughter of Ares, and she came from an area very nearby to uh, Troy called Thrace. Remember that Thracians showed up with King Rhesus, and they got killed immediately because of the treachery of Doan trying to save his life, which he failed to do. In any case, she was a daughter of Ares, and she came to aid the Trojans after Hector fell. The Trojans say, oh my goodness, this Wonder Woman-like woman, she'll save us. And actually, if you read Post-Homerica by Quintus of Smyrna, you'll see that when she first fights, she runs into Aias the Greater and Achilleus on the battlefield at the same time, which I can just imagine is like a super tiger and a dragon in front of you, which means you're going to die. Um, but she actually threatens Achilleus and Aias the Greater. And, uh, and this, is, <laughs> this is not my personal opinion, but I do think this is probably pretty good writing here. What Aias the Greater and Achilleus do when this Amazon threatens them is they burst into laughter, actually, which is so rude. But then Achilleus does have a fight with Penthesilea, and as he does, he kills her. He defeats her. He is uh, the best warrior alive at that time. He, of course, defeats her. Though, there is an odd little wrinkle here. This story. These stories, they survive not because, they, uh, because everything happens which you would expect, but they survive precisely because the unexpected occurs. In the moment that Achilleus kills Penthesilea, he looks at her through, a different, through different eyes, through a different lens. And you say, what does that mean? See, she, he falls in love with her. In the moment that she is dying, he catches her in his arms. And what he sees in her is a female version of him. Of someone who fights for glory on the battlefield and dies at the height of her youth, at the height of her beauty, just as he will die at the height of his youth and beauty. In, uh, actually, during this lecture. <laughs> and so... While he's looking down at this beautiful woman, having this, this terrible moment of, what have I done? Thersites. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Book two. He was talking, talking, talking. Remember, he's got a limb, bald. His head comes to a point. Uh, he, uh, he's got a stooped shoulder. He's got a hunched back, and he has endless words. And I said, don't worry. We'll see him again. You were all like, Odysseus doesn't like him. He hits him with a stick. What happens to him? What happens to him? And it's like, you ready to hear what happens to him? Everybody? Yeah? Okay. Well, this is what happens to him. He makes fun of the wrong person at the wrong time. And so, keep this sort of thing in mind. Thersites, much smaller and weaker than Achilleus, sees Achilleus having a terrible moment, points at him, laughs at him, and says, Ha! Huh? That is the only woman that you would ever love. Achilleus is not known for restraining his emotions very well. In fact, we read the entire Iliad about how he's very bad at restraining his emotions. And so, what he does, apparently not having learned much, drops Penthesilea to the ground, makes a fist, and BAM! Punches Thersites so hard in the face that Thersites falls over dead. 
kills him with a punch, which we all laugh at because nobody likes Thersites. But remember this, Thersites is an Achaean. Achilleus is an Achaean. To kill another Achaean is not a death kill. It is a murder. And so Achilleus is now in trouble. He actually has to go to a different island, expiate himself by making sacrifices to goddesses, or he has to be exiled from the Achaean army. They can't exile him because they need him to kill some Trojans. And so, that's what happens. As a result, a dispute arises amongst the Achaeans. If they don't send Achilleus away, even though they dislike Thersites and understand where he's coming from, then most likely Apollo will shoot, or how they figure, Apollo may very well become displeased with them, along with the other gods, and shoot plague down on them, just like in the first book of the Iliad. They don't want plague messing with them. They can't deal with plague very well. That is sent by the gods as far as they are concerned. And so they decide to send Achilleus alongside Odysseus, of course, to uh, the island of Lesbos, which is where a very, very famous uh, female poet named Sappho is from. It's our first female poet that we know of. If you're interested in such things, her name is Sappho, very beautiful poetry. And uh, she is from Lesbos as well, though a bit later than this, of course. In any case, in any case, Achilleus does that. He sacrifices not only to Apollo, but also to Artemis and to Leto, and he is purified of this bloodshed. He can come back. Now, once he comes back to fight, there is yet a new Trojan champion who has traveled from the dark lands of northern Africa from Ethiopia. His name is Memnon. Do not confuse him with Agamemnon. He is not the same person, just like, sort of like how someone whose name is Ryan is not the same as Brian, and they care about that sort of thing. In any case, Memnon shows up. Now, Memnon shares many qualities with Achilleus. He is the son of a goddess, the son of dawn, supposedly. Eos is her name. So if you use that, um, what is it, that lip balm, Eos, it does seem to be named for, uh, for dawn. I think it's just EOS, but I say that sort of thing. In any case, Memnon shows up. He's the son of a goddess. He also has very special armor that has been made for him by Hephaestus. He seems like a clone of Achilleus. And well, he and Achilleus finally have the battle that we have been searching for for Achilleus. They fight from dawn until dusk in single combat until finally Achilleus slays him. This is his greatest kill. Memnon is the greatest man that he ever slays and he is put in the dust by Achilleus. Hmm. Good, good. Uh, a couple things about Memnon though, interestingly enough, that I'll say on the next, I'll save them for the next slide. In any case, he, uh, he gets to be taken to a very special place by his parent. Um, and I'll say that in a moment. In any case, a battle then takes place in which Achilleus, or excuse me, I should have said this first. Before Achilleus slays Memnon, Memnon does get a very important Achaean, an Achaean that we know pretty well. And this is going to be the first of the deaths of the people that we, we sort of like. So we got to see Thersites die first. We didn't mind that so much. We thought it was pretty funny, maybe a little bit just and righteous too. But the first big Achaean to die is Antilochus, the son of Nestor. Remember Antilochus? He was very smart. He was very helpful. He, um, Antilochus was the one that gave the bad news about Patroclus' death to Achilleus. And in fact, in Book 11 of the Odyssey, when we go down to the underworld, we will see Antilochus again. He will be with Patroclus and Achilleus. Uh, they'll hang out forever, essentially. That's how good of friends they were. Antilochus has killed my Memnon, but then... Achilleus gets vengeance on Memnon by striking him down. Now, because Memnon is the son of a goddess, he has some privileges. Remember that Sarpedon was taken off the battlefield by Apollo at the command of Zeus, precisely because he was Zeus's son, and uh, Zeus did not want his son's body disfigured. Well, 
This is not an idea that you find in Homer, an idea of a, a true place of afterlife reward, a heaven-like place. But in other lesser authors, you do find this idea. And so the idea was this, that Eos could ask Zeus to bestow immortality upon her son and send him to a place called the White Isle. The White Isle, uh, uh, which is very similar to the idea of a place with pearly gates. Uh, some place undefined, beyond the reaches of the world, where you get to go where you, when you do deeds of great valor. Very similar to, uh, you know, our notion of heaven, but different in some ways. So, in any case, after Achilles defeats Memnon, he's pumped up. It's just like after Patroclus defeated Sarpedon. He's pumped up. He's going to attack the walls of Troy. And he does! And rushing into the city of Troy, pushing his advantage, Apollo tilts the bow of Paris, of Troy, and Paris of Troy, of all Trojans, is the one who shoots the arrow that fells Achilles. Yes, it is true. It was, with the help of Apollo, just like with Patroclus, interestingly enough, that Paris of Troy shoots a shot that supposedly hits Achilles in his leg, we think, in the back of the calf where the Achilles is. That's why your Achilles tendon is called your Achilles tendon after Achilles here, or Achilles, and that he slowly has blood drain out of him. And for some reason, this is a fatal wound. And he kills men until the end of the day, until he has so little blood left in his body that he just slumps down and dies. Yeah, nobody comes and chops off his head or anything. He's still so terrifying. He's, I don't know, like a super snake. We're talking about lots of super animals today. In any case, there is a major struggle for his body. You remember the struggle for Patroclus' body, Bodies on bodies on bodies covered his body so much that you could not even find it. And that was Patroclus. Patroclus is JV. Achilles is varsity. And so, well, <laughs> uh, there's a huge fight. And actually, this vase painting, this black figure vase painting here, is the very famous painting that I told you about where Aias the Greater, with its giant shield, is carrying Achilles over his shoulder. Very, very sad there, very sad. And there, there are a lot more uh, pieces of art. Uh, showing that scene. In any case, it is the case that the Achaeans get Achilles' body back, and uh, Odysseus helps to drive off the Trojans. In any case, now we have to do some sad things. A couple of our major friends have died, Antilochus and Achilles. We need to have burials. And well, Achilles has one Hades of a burial. His body is laid out, and then Thetis shows up. I mean, to some extent, the measure of your life is who shows up at your funeral. Which makes me wonder, if you're really old, like, who shows up? Because, you know, a lot of the people that you've known are now dead. Well, if you're at a war like Achilles here, a lot of the people that you've known who you really love are dead. That said, goddesses love him. He is so profound a human, or was so powerful, incredible a human. Thetis comes out, and not just Thetis. Also, the muses show up. The muses are the nine patron goddesses of, uh, of art. Muse is why we have museums full of art. Muse is why we have music that we listen to. In any case, <clears throat> and in fact, the muse of Homer, who he calls to speak through him, the goddess, seeing goddess, the anger of Peleus, the son Achilles, or tell me, muse, the reason, uh, which we'll see that uh, soon with uh, the Odyssey when we talk about that in the next lecture tomorrow. Uh, well, that muse is named Calliope. She is the muse of epic poetry. There are several other muses too, uh, and their mother's name, Nemosine, her name means memory. It's like memory and art are connected together, which will make perfect sense by the end of your next year when you've had so much art from our collective memory. Uh, ancient Greek, Roman, 
medieval Italian, and even some English stuff. All right, in any case, Achilleus has, I think, and I don't have it written here, you recall that Homer had 12 days for his funeral? I believe Achilleus has 18 days for his. Most days I've ever heard of for a funeral. In any case, one thing I do want you to know is that um, supposedly according to this writer, not according to Homer, he gets taken to a place of immortality called the White Island. But what would have been honored by Homer given book 23 of the Iliad is this. Patroclus' ashes are mixed with Achilleus' ashes. They're put in the same cairn. That means uh, essentially an urn. An urn is a vase where you put the ashes of somebody who has been immolated after they died. Uh, perhaps you have an urn with a former family member in it or have seen one. Do not drop those. Uh, in any case, this uh, particular uh, summary of an epic, the Aethiopis, ends with a dispute arising. It's almost like stories just end in order to begin again with a dispute rising between who gets Achilleus' awesome Hephaestian armor. Aeus the Greater, his cousin, or Odysseus, who helped to get his body off the battlefield. Uh, just like Aeus. Alright, in any case, let's now talk about the Little Iliad, the second of our epics today. Yes, we're moving fast. Now, the Little Iliad was written by somebody different from the first work. Remember, Arctinus of Miletus wrote the Aethiopis. Here we have uh, Leskis of Mytilene. And here we have figured the judgment of arms between Achilleus and Odysseus. Alright, so Odysseus and Achilleus, or and Aeus the Greater, Achilleus is dead, both won Achilleus' armor. Wow. So they have a contest. A contest that would favor Aeus the Greater would be something like a wrestling contest, some sort of contest of strength. He is stronger than Odysseus, though Odysseus is a strong man. That said, it is contrived so that, uh, or the contest that they end up having is a contest of speaking, speech. Well, who has the advantage there? Well, the man who's described by the Trojan, Antenor, in Book 3 of the Iliad as having words as beautiful as falling snow. That would be Odysseus, obviously. He even tells Achilleus, even though you are greater in battle, I am greater in counsel because I am older than you, and he's really smart. And so, in any case, Odysseus and Aeus the Greater have a speech contest. I sometimes read parts of that from Ovid's Metamorphoses. It is very funny. They take some serious digs at each other. If I could just recall off the cuff a couple of the things they say to each other. Oh, yes, Aeus the Greater says, uh, yeah, I, I can remember a lot, actually. Aeus the Greater says, oh, it's so interesting. You don't actually need the armor of Achilles. Because just to contend against me is an honor for you, Odysseus, though I can't say the same for me with you. And then Odysseus says things like this to Aeus. He says, why do you even need armor? I haven't even seen you get wounded the entire time we've been fighting. And I, however, have suffered in Troy. And, well, you know, they say all sorts of things like that. Uh, uh, just one last thing that Aeus the Greater says to Odysseus is, why would you even want armor? Armor gleams at night, and that's the only time you ever fight. And when you're fleeing from your enemies, as you always do, it will weigh you down. And so they are, uh, they are pretty, uh, they go after each other. And so we thank Ovid for maintaining that story for us. Uh, Ovid will see also in the Inferno next year. And uh, uh, in all canticles of the Divine Comedy. In any case, Aeus the Greater loses this contest. He does not get the armor of Achilles, even though he's like a carbon copy of him. It doesn't make sense to him. He goes mad. He decides, I'm going to kill Menelaus, Agamemnon, and Odysseus for this terrible, terrible thing that they have done to me, for this dishonor that they have, they have conveyed to me. 
But Athena shows up. She loves Odysseus, and she doesn't want this to happen. And she muddles the wits of Aias the Greater, so that when he goes out at night to kill Odysseus, Menelaus, and Agamemnon, he actually goes out and kills him. Uh, a bunch of cattle, some rams, some ewes, some lambs. So I can only imagine if this were like a sit situational comedy, a sitcom like something you watch on ABC at 7 o'clock at night, then uh, you'd see like Isaac Rader giving some speech about how he's about to slay Odysseus, and there's like a goat staring at him, chewing. He's like, oh, Odysseus, always eating. The goat's like, he's like, I knew you would say that. Take this. And the goat's like, and he's like, raw. And the goat's like, raw. And he's like, Die like the goat you are. I mean, man you are, Odysseus, in any case. Yes. So, what's interesting about that situation is that when Aias comes out of this crazy reverie, and we know that the gods can give you true sight, but they can also mess up your sight as well, uh, when he comes out of his insanity and realizes what he's done, he is not ashamed of the fact that he attempted to kill his friends and former commander, Agamemnon, he is ashamed of how embarrassing it is that he killed animals instead of them. And because he is so embarrassed by this, he feels completely dishonored. And because he is a traditional warrior in an honor-style culture, he decides to commit suicide, sadly. And there are many pictures of this. In fact, there's a very famous base painting where you can see him burying his sword so that he can literally fall on it. And there is a very famous play called The Ajax by Sophocles um, that I used to teach that uh, figures into this, and he's, he's sort of tricky with it, too. All of his friends, his concubine, are like, no, no, don't kill yourself, don't kill yourself, please don't. And he's like, no, I'm not going to, and then he goes off into the woods or near the beach and does it. And so, Aias the Greater, he's out. Antilochus, he's out. Achilleus, he's out. Thersites, he's out. Memnon, you didn't really know about him, but he's out. Uh, Penthesilea, she's out. Uh, oh, yeah. We still need Paris to go out. Let's... Let's see what happens here. All right, the next thing that happens. So, Aias the Greater, he's out. Odysseus and the Achaeans are in a bad situation. Achilles is dead. Aias the Greater is dead. Who's going to win the Trojan War? They don't know. So, they need a new prophet. Calchas hasn't been pumping out those good golden eggs lately. They need a Trojan prophet. So, Odysseus lies in wait and catches one of the sons of Priam named Helenos. I told you that uh, when we first met Helenos that he might be a traitor. Later on. Well, let's see how, uh, how true that was, what I said. In any case, Hellenus gets caught and prophesizes three things that need to happen in order for Troy to fall. The first one is a character named Philoctetes, not the satyr goat played by Danny De or voiced by Danny DeVito from the Hercules Disney movie from the 90s. Uh, no, not, not that Philoctetes, the real Philoctetes, needs to be brought from Lemnos. Now, this is sort of a weird thing to happen because Philoctetes got bitten by a magical snake, and has a magical wound on his foot that causes him terrible pain and never, ever heals, and it smells really bad. And he was with the Achaeans coming to Troy, and Limnos is very close to Troy. And it was Odysseus, because of the smell of his wounds, and because of how annoying it was that he was constantly being like, Ah! 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 Odysseus said, Uh, we can't be having this smell. Troy. It's a war. I'm not going to smell that all the time. And ah! and he's constantly crying on pain. It's driving me crazy. Why don't we just leave Philotides here and we all go to the war? And all the Achaeans said, seems like a great idea. Let's just leave him to die. Now they have to go back and find him ten years later with him fully knowing that every single one of them chose to abandon him. And there is very much a play also by Sophocles called the Philotides 
where Odysseus, through Achilles' son, Neoptolemus, has to convince Philoctetes to come back. And one of the terrible things is Odysseus has filled uh, Neoptolemus' head with lies and said, lie to him, lie to him, lie to him, we need him to come. And uh, uh, when Philoctetes is about to come, he says, you know the reason that I'm coming to fight with you, Neoptolemus, is you're just like your father. You're so honest. It tears the heart out of, uh, out of Neoptolemus in a metaphorical way, not, not a literal way. And he actually admits what he's been doing to Philoctetes. Philoctetes goes to get his bow, goes to kill Odysseus, and then he sees the ghost of Heracles who says, use my bow to kill Trojans, not Achaeans. And then he goes to Troy. So, one out of three pieces of the prophecy, done. Good job. Ah, yes. Also, a couple things that happen nicely for Philoctetes, and a good reason to learn to give up resentment. One is, when he comes to Troy, Machaon, the great healer of the Achaeans, heals his unhealable wound. That's a good reason to come. Also, he uh, gets to kill somebody we've been waiting to, to die. We've probably been waiting for this man to die since we first heard about him. Since we first heard about him from the events that preceded the Iliad. Ah, yes, Philoctetes will be tied to the death of Paris. Hmm. 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 Yes, I do say that. And so Philoctetes, after being hailed by or healed by Machaon and coming to the Trojan battlefield in order to fight, takes out his bow and arrow, shoots an arrow at Paris, hits Paris in the leg, just like Paris had hit Achilles in the leg. And actually Paris is still, uh, still uh, healed, not healed enough, um, how do I say it? Sound-bodied enough to go on a hike. Goes on a hike to a mountain, and up that mountain, and supposedly on that mountain, he, he, play, he tries to placate the nymph, Enone, who had been his first wife, his first wife who he left for Helen. And he says, please, please, if anyone can heal me, it will be you. And yet, there is nothing like a nymph spurned in Greek mythology. Enone turns her head from Paris, just as Athena had turned her head from Hecate and the Trojans. She refuses to heal Paris. And there's a lot of great art about this, too. Paris dies to Philoctetes. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Ah, yes, and then an interesting moment. So you say, okay, well, Helen is still with the Trojans. Who does she marry next? Because she does marry somebody next. Yet another son of Priam, Deiphobos, and he will pay a terrible price for being married to Helen. In any case, the second thing that Helenus tells Odysseus and the Achaeans that they must do is not only do they need Philoctetes from Lemnos, they need also Neoptolemus from Skyros. They need to go get the son of Achilles to help them fight. And this is actually something that's done pretty easily and technically happens before Odysseus goes to get Philoctetes as well. They go, uh, they go to Skyros, they pick up Neoptolemus, and then just uh, magical thinking here. He looks just like his father, but with red hair, and is just as strong and is just as old. And that's how it works. Uh, even though he should only be something like 10 years old, he looks like a 20-year-old, and he fights like a 20-year-old, and he's, he is literally a car carbon copy of his father. Uh, almost literally. His name even means New War, Neo-Ptolemus. Alright. And one of the first things he does, just as Philoctetes gets a big kill of Paris, is he kills a man named Eurypylus. We'll uh, see Achilles be very proud of his son in Book 11 when Odysseus brings this news down to him. In any case... Now, the Trojans are closely besieged. And the Achaeans, 
they are starting to realize that without the help of Bacchaeus, without the help of Ius the Greater, they're going to have to do a little bit more. Uh, they're going to have to use their heads a little bit more, use strategy in order to defeat these Trojans. And in fact, the third thing that Helenus tells Odysseus and the Trojans that they must do in order to defeat Troy is that they must break into Troy, their sacred citadel, the temple to Athena, and steal her statue, which is called the Palladium after her epithet, Palace Athena. All right, cool. Uh, who's going to do that? Well, it's going to be Odysseus. And actually, we'll hear this story in book four. Helen will tell this story to us. Yes, we'll see Helen again. We'll see Menelaus again. It'll just be like after the Wizard of Oz ends. And it's like, and I saw you there? And you there? And you there? Yes, yes. We'll see many of these characters again, at least the ones that aren't dead. And we'll even see some of the dead ones, too. Agamemnon, Aias the Greater, he won't say much to us. We'll see uh, Odysseus' mom. Sadly, he didn't know she was dead. Um, and we'll also get to see Achilleus and a couple other people that you might not know about yet, but you will know about then. In any case, Odysseus disfigures himself, dresses as a beggar, sneaks into Troy, because who pays attention to a beggar? He is spotted by Helen. He somehow gets out of that situation. Helen then gives him a bath, and then he conspires with Helen and Diomedes, because we don't know which side Helen's on, that's why she's red and blue here, to steal the Palladium. He then, with Diomedes, steals the Palladium, Three out of three things have been done to make it so that Troy can fall. Helenus has told us, you need to go get Philoctetes. Done. You need to go get Neoptolemus. Done. You need to steal the Palladium, symbol of wisdom from Troy. Done. Troy may now fall. How is it going to fall? Okay. The Achaeans come up with a very different idea. Athena puts the idea in Odysseus's head. Odysseus conveys the idea to a local carpenter named Epeus. We're going to build a giant wooden horse. And we're going to claim that after Odysseus stole the Palladium from Troy, Athena has turned against the Achaeans and is very angry at them. And so we're all going to pretend to sail away. They're going to sail behind an island called Tenedos. There we go. And we're going to leave this giant horse here. And we're going to say that it is a gift, a holy gift to the Trojans. And that we're giving it to the Trojans and to Athena, so that she will no longer be mad at the Achaeans, and will not destroy them, but we are giving up on the war, because if Athena is no longer on the side of the Achaeans, there is no way that they can defeat the Trojans. And so, when the Trojans wake up the next night, the Achaean camp is gone, the Achaeans are gone, and there's a giant wooden horse in front of them, and a naked Achaean named Sinon, who claims that he was going to be sacrificed unjustly by Odysseus, because he knew about Odysseus killing his friend uh, uh, illegally, essentially. Uh, uh, for bringing Odysseus to Troy when he did not want to. That story comes up again. Polymedes. In any case, the Trojans are convinced to bring the Trojan horse into their home. And let me just make sure I don't have too much of this. Ah, yes, I do, I do. Okay, so here's the idea in general, and then I'll get into the specifics. The idea is this. In that giant wooden horse are the best of the Achaeans. Neoptolemus is in there, Menelaus is in there, Odysseus is in there, several other people are in there. If the Trojans do anything to this horse besides take it into their home and just keep it there, all those Achaeans are dead. If they burn it, they're dead. If they push it off a cliff, they're dead. But if they bring this wooden horse into their city and then have a huge party and then fall asleep, then they're dead. Then the Trojans are dead instead. And, well, that might be what happens. So, the third epic that we have in summary here is the sack of Ilium, and I think it's all in the title right there. You know exactly 
what's going to happen. Uh, this is also by Arctinus of Miletus, just like the Ethiopus, by the way. So, the Trojans, they see this giant wooden horse. They're not stupid. They think, what do we do with this giant suspicious horse that happens to appear the moment that all the Achaeans disappear after trying to kill us for ten straight years doing and doing a pretty good job of it? Maybe we could hurl it down from the rocks. That's a good idea. Troy would still stand if they had done that. Others say, burn it! It's made of wood, after all. That's another good idea. Troy would still stand. And then others say that they ought to dedicate it to Athene. Athena. Well, that seems like a good idea, but it's not. And that is the idea they go with. Because something really weird happens. And if you look at this very famous statue of Leonquan with two sons and these snakes around him, you'll get some idea of what's actually happening here. This priest of Neptune named Laocoon, you'll hear about this in Book 2 of the Aeneid soon enough when we get through that, when we do our unit on Roman epic. Well, he said, I mistrust Greeks even when bearing gifts. Very famous quote from the Aeneid. And he takes a spear and he throws it at the wooden horse. And everybody's like, oh man, what's going to happen? Is the goddess going to kill you? The answer is yes. Athena sends two red serpents with fiery eyes out of the water. They slither up to Laocoon, who's apparently hanging out with his two young sons. And then they strangle both of his sons to death in front of everybody right after he had thrown a spear at this wooden horse. And then they strangle him to death. That's what's happening on this very famous uh, marble statue here. He is being strangled and killed after his sons are being strangled and killed. So, imagine this. You see, two, you see this priest disfigure this holy object of Athena, he gets killed with his sons by two snakes, what do you think about that holy object? You think, don't touch it, don't hurt it, it's sacred, definitely Athena will kill anybody that tries to harm that, so we're going to bring it inside. Sadly enough, that is again Athena taking the sides of the Achaeans, that is what will lead to the Trojans falling, they will fall tonight. So, the horse is taken in. The Trojans have the biggest party of their lives, and with the young people, it really would have been the biggest party of their lives, and the last party of many of their lives. As they fall asleep, Sinon, who has been invited inside, recall he's the spy that was naked next to the, uh, the horse, and had the job of convincing the Trojans to bring the horse in. In fact, it's Priam who does that, who allows that. Sinon then raised the fire signal to the Achaeans. They see it from Tenedos. They sail their ships back. They go through the gate, which has now been uh, slightly um, uh, uh, dismantled to allow the horse in because it's so large. Mm. They can stream into the city. Now, here's where some things start to happen. And we will have a detailed account of the fall of Troy in Book 2 of the Aeneid. But I have some additional details for you here. This image is of Neoptolemus cruelly slain Priam while stepping on the body of Polites. Priam's son, who he had killed right in front of Priam. So Priam puts on his armor. Not in this image. Tries to fight. Neoptolemus is like Achilles. There's no fighting against him. He wins. And, and so he kills in the sacred citadel of Priam uh, and Ilion in the safest place in the world for Priam, which is now the most dangerous place. Sadly enough, things change so quickly in this world. Well, Neoptolemus kills Polites. Then grabs Priam by the hair, drags him through the blood of his son, takes him to an altar of Zeus, slits, slits, excuse me, slits his throat, slices his throat, and then cuts his head off, and then throws his head on the beach. 
And so the greatest king of all the Asiatic people, the Trojans, with 50 sons, 100 daughters, countless concubines, ends up as a headless corpse on the beach at the end of his existence. What goes up must come down. And then, even worse things happen. Potentially speaking, depending on your value system, I suppose. Menelaus then finds Helen in the house of Deiphobos. Horrifically disfigures Deiphobos. Cuts off his hands, his feet, his nose, his ears. Supposedly also his genitals and his face. His face. He cuts his face off. We will see him faceless in book six of the Aeneid. He does terrible things to him. And, well, the reason is because he's taking out all his anger from all that's happened in Troy on this one man. And that one man happens to be Deiphobos. Unfortunately, it's not Paris. And yet, that's how displacement works. And then, and this is very famous, and this leads to lots of problems for the Achaeans when they want to go home during the returns, which I suppose I'm going to have to talk about tomorrow, so through three-fourths of what we need to talk about today. Aias the Lesser, in a temple to Athena, while Cassandra is at an altar to Athena, and keep in mind, Athena is a virgin goddess, and so there's a good reason why Cassandra, during the sacking of her city, takes refuge in this temple. She is saying, please do not abduct me, Please do not rape me, is what she is saying. And that is not what happens. She is taken by force by Aias the Lesser in a temple. It is a horrible act of sacrilege. And the Achaeans will pay dearly for it. And Aias the Lesser will also pay dearly for it. But uh, even the daughters of Priam get it bad at this time. So we see sons of Priam killed. We see Priam himself going headless. We see his daughters taken by force, it is just as bad as Hector imagined in book six when he talked to Andromache, and we're not even done yet. I don't think I have this on this slide. Here it is. You've been waiting for this. Of all this tragedy and all this death, you've been waiting for one person to die who you heard would die long ago in book six of the Iliad when I told you this, even though it wasn't said there. Yes, and there are a lot of images in the art of this. It is very sad. Andromache's son her only son by Hector, her only reminder of Hector, is taken from her arms either by Neoptolemus or Odysseus. I see good arguments for both, probably Neoptolemus because he's so angry and mean, but possibly also Odysseus because he's so intelligent. And so he takes his sea and he says, if this boy were to live, he could come back and take vengeance on me. There would still be a Trojan with claim to be king. People could unify to him. He could raise an army, and this could come back to bite me in the behind. So... Might as well get rid of that possibility. He takes a CNX, he holds him off the edge of Troy, and he drops him off the ledge, and he dies. And Andromache has to watch screaming, and then is led into slavery, where she will then be the uh, concubine of Neoptolemus. Huh. And that's where we get to today. We have a little bit more tomorrow.